to be honest with you, uh, my high school coach used to say pressure is something you put in your tires. So uh, this is just baseball. It's just a game. Just got to go out there and have some fun and uh, leave the pressure for your tires. Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. I am down at Rogers Center. We're four hours and change from first pitch of the wildcard series between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners. That was Alec Manoa telling you yesterday the pressure is something for your tires. If you're driving down to the game, I hope you heeded that advice. If you are nervous about today, I hope you heeded it as well. Uh, Alec Manoa, not nervous. Pressure is for your tires. Uh, we are down from Rogers Center. We're with you the next two hours here. Uh, ben Ennis also down here. He'll be with you two to four. You, of course, just heard Blair and Barker. Uh, the morning show before that had Jose Batista on. J.D. Bunkus podcast previewing the series as well. Uh, I'd imagine J.D. has already snuck in here somewhere and is a couple beers deep. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that afternoon plays out. Right now, the Dome is closed. We're expecting a little bit of rain around 2 or 3 o'clock. Um, possible the Jays are just waiting that out before making a determination. If it is open, it, it could be a chilly one. Uh, right now, though, we're just looking out at those beautiful postseason graphics on the grass. Uh, grounds crew getting ready. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. just finished taking some uh, practice swings off of Julian Merriweather. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., though, uh, kind of the highlight item as wildcard rosters were announced today. He is not on there. We're going to go through the roster. Uh, we're going to do that with Arden Zwelling momentarily. We'll talk to Eno Saris later and tee up the pitching matchups for all three games and then as well as the bullpens. Uh, we'll have Mike Petriello in the booth with us from MLB.com. Chris Black, sports and producer, uh, joining us at 1.30 to go a little deeper on Castillo versus the Jays, Manoa versus the Mariners. And you can send us your text at 590-590. Uh, there is media availability throughout the afternoon, so we'll, we'll sprinkle some of that in for you uh, as well. And we'll try to paint the scene down here as much as uh, we can with not a lot going on until gates open at 2.30-ish. So um, if you're coming down, hope you drive safe. Hope you have a, a great time today. Very, very excited. A little more stoic beside me right now is Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet, of At The Letters. How are you, man? You've been asking me about Matt Gage for the last three I got to see months. him. You saw him. He was here. He was throwing to Lourdes. What did you think of the stuff? Give me the report. What did you think? The cutter? The slider? I don't think he was going 100% <laughs> as Lourdes Gurriel Jr. tries to uh, tries to work his way back. Was it that he had to go back to the ball bag to get his own ball after each pitch? <laughs> was that interrupting the rhythm a little bit? It might. Um, we'll have to see if with the new pitch clock next year, if that's something <laughs> they do to kind of work around it is uh, let the pitcher go back to the mound before they catch the ball back uh, to delay the start of that clock. But yeah, it was good to see Matt Gage. Like, I like you. I've been like, man, where is this guy? And it, it's funny. It's just circumstance with him, right? He got caught up in a couple of roster crunches. There was a point when um, the Blue Jays needed a lefty, and they went with Foster Griffin because they just wanted to see him. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to see, like, what have we got here, right? They had just acquired him. They wanted to test him at the level and be sure what they had on their hands. So it's just been, like, really unfortunate for Matt Gage, who, by the way, like, so he was supposed to go to Florida. He was supposed to go to Dunedin and be with the crew that was working out there. Hurricane came, obviously, so nobody went there. He went home after the Buffalo season, went to a wedding, and at a wedding got the call. <laughs> hey, we need you in Baltimore. Just so happened to be not far from Baltimore. Showed up in Baltimore, 
that's where I was reunited with Matt Gage. Who we've been and, and then before. they they booted him to Toronto early. <laughs> they sent Guriel and Espinal back yeah. here, and we're like, Matt Gage, Julian Merriweather, you guys got to go to Toronto early and uh, and get these guys ready. So um, Gage and Merriweather are around. I'd imagine they're taxi squad options yes. if something were to happen. Um, you cannot change your roster during this three-game wildcard series unless there's an injury. Um, so... Lourdes Gurriel Jr. on the outside looking in. We'll go through some of the key decisions that the Jays uh, had here with that 26-man roster. But, Arden, before we do that, you were in Baltimore. You've been around this team through the clinch, through that little period of, well, there's nothing left to play for, through workout day yesterday. What is the vibe? What is the energy around this group right now? It was interesting because prior to that period, there were those four days after they clinched and before they had clinched home field where the Blue Jays pushed. Mm-hmm. Like, they went for home field. And I wasn't necessarily certain that they would have done that. In my, like, overly logical, analytical brain, I probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I would have been like, let's just line up my rotation and my bullpen and get everybody rest and who's you know, needs a day off from this or that. The Blue Jays pushed. They went with their A lineup. And, they like, that was a collective decision, mm-hmm. coaches and players, to push, like, to really drive for home field. And they went out and they beat the crap out of the Boston Red Sox. And they took, sure did. took care of business in four games. By the way, uh, that will be, as long as the balanced schedule is here to stay starting next year, the last time a team ever beats another team 16 times in one season. Yeah, maybe. In any sport. Right. Yeah. That's how badly the Jays dominated the Red Sox. (laughs) So badly that they've had to balance the schedules across baseball now. Uh, If Manfred has his wish and we expand and we go to a 400-game schedule, maybe something different will happen. But, uh, yeah, so... They pushed, and the intensity hasn't dropped off, I guess, just mm-hmm. to answer your question, right? Like, Which is part of the reason why the Blue Jays come into this series like surging. 22-11 and 11 in September and October, nearly a plus-50 run differential. The Mariners not playing that great, like coughing up games to Oakland, coughing up games to the Angels. I was going to say, against pretty light competition, that's one of the things we'll talk about about Luis Castillo throughout this show is he's obviously very good. He's... Um, their prize trade deadline acquisition, they extend him immediately, but he hasn't faced a good offense basically since he got to Seattle. Um, an average of, I think, the 22nd best offense over his last 10 starts. So this is not obviously elite stuff, but he has not faced elite bats, whereas, you know, the Jays, I mean, Baltimore and Boston by the very end there weren't the full versions of themselves, but this team isn't far removed for some pretty competitive series. And I think even the way that doubleheader played out, Um, the amount of guys who wanted to get a little bit of work in, right? The amount of relievers who were like, no, no, I feel good. Let me get an inning in. Um, Or even those pinch hits and defensive replacements getting spread around in the last game. Uh, Feels like a team that's been kind of champing at the bit here and is ready to go. That was postseason tune-up day, right? Like there was the four days after they clinched to the postseason, after they celebrated, where they really pushed to put everything into winning. Then they had that doubleheader against Boston, uh, Baltimore, excuse me, where it was like, all right, let's see what Gabby Moreno looks like at second base. Let's, and third base and left field. <laughs> let's bring Yusei Kikuchi into like a, you know, two runners on, one out situation against lefty and see what that looks like. Let's get, you know, Anthony Bass, his work early in a game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so the Blue Jays used that as a tune-up. I, th- I think their coaching staff just handled things so well down the stretch, kept intensity high, kept effort level and compete level high. 
Like in the postseason, you almost you throw out the big sample stuff, right? right. Like the postseason, like this is JD Bunkus time, man. Yeah. Like this is small sample city, right? So yeah. it's time to like think about what have you done lately? How are you playing right now? Who's on form right now? That's what matters in a three game series. We can forget our projections and and our big sample numbers. It does. And another thing about the small samples is that you know when we talk about adjustments and counter adjustments, and this came up yesterday when I was talking to Mikey Ahedo about Jared Kelnick and the changes he's made over the last little bit and it's extremely small sample but if you're the Mariners you only need Jared Kelnick to keep that up for this weekend yeah. and if a, if a team figures out how to adjust to that on Tuesday so be it you got through the wild card thing and and it's it's going to be the same thing for the Blue Jays I think of Whit Merrifield's red hot right now part of that is being hyper aggressive early in counts relative to his norm uh yeah maybe Seattle adjusts to that maybe they don't maybe Houston adjusts to it but as long as you're pushing these questions to a Houston series, who cares, right? Deal with it then, and, and someone else might be hot at that point, or you figure something else out. Um, you mentioned the Kikuchi thing. I want to go through, basically, I have four decisions here that the Jays had to make with their 26-man wildcard roster. The first one is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is not on this roster. We've seen him taking some hacks out here, um, you know, pre, pre-game, pre-pre-game uh, against <laughs> Julian Merriweather and, and Matt Gage. Um, he was someone who profiled as a really big asset in this series, if healthy, because he hits elite velocity so well. How hard a decision do you think this was for the Blue Jays? And, and does the fact that he's not even here as a pinch hitter give you some pessimism about what his status might be in an ALDS. So I think the Blue Jays are hopeful he'll be available for an ALDS. If they're playing in Houston next week, I think they're, they're I think he'll be on that roster. Okay. What it came down to here was honestly just roster flexibility and what the Blue Jays could do late in games and what his utility could be in a three-game series. Because Lourdes Gurriel Jr. right now is at a point in his rehab where he can pinch hit but if he gets on base, you're running for him. Right. He cannot let it loose And right then now. you're not playing him in left field. Exactly, right? So it's kind of like two moves for one, really, with, with Lourdes whenever you use him. Because either he gets out and you're using someone else in the field or he gets on and you're pinched running. Yeah. So the Blue Jays just felt like it handcuffed them too much to hold, to bring him on this roster right now for a three-game series. There is like legitimate optimism that he would be ready for a DS. So that's what went into the Lourdes Gurriel Jr. decision. He, he just can't handle elite relievers like Matt Gage and Julian Merriweather <laughs> just yet. Maybe by the time the DS rolls around on well, Tuesday. Like you said, it hurts against guys like Castillo and Ray, right? Because those yeah. are, you know, and Gilbert. Gilbert throws, throws hard too, yeah. Right? Because um, Gurriel is one of the Blue Jays' best hitters against premium velocity. 372 weighted on base against pitches 95 plus. 415 against pitches 97 plus. So Ooh. it's not even just those guys. It's Munoz late in games, yeah. right? Like it's Kyle Brash. You know, it's it's guys like or, uh, Matt Brash. Matt Brash yeah. Excuse me, uh, Kyle Bradish. Matt Brash is yes. where I went there. Uh, I've been in Baltimore very recently. Yeah. Uh, the disrespect to a Canadian <laughs> legend, Matt Brash. Future WBC closer, Matt yeah. Brash. So Guriel, yeah. like would have been useful to have, and particularly against Robbie Ray mm-hmm. if he goes tomorrow. I don't think that's a certain thing, but if he goes tomorrow, like you don't want Tapia in there. No, so, and so I, I was going to ask you that as well yeah. as a trickle down to Guriel here is, um, is your lineup against Robbie Ray – maybe including Santiago Espinal at second base, who is on the 26-man roster, and Whit Merrifield in a corner outfield. In left. They, they only have 
four outfielders on here, and I don't think you're starting Jackie Bradley Jr. in any circumstance. No, Jackie Bradley Jr.'s late-game defense, yeah. and he edged out Bradley Zimmer for that role, right, of, like, the late-game defensive replacement. The Blue Jays didn't see a scenario where they were going to be bringing in two outfield replacements late in the game, so they just went with the one guy in, in Bradley. What do you think of that decision, by the way? Because I know small samples when it comes to defensive replacements and things like that. I would, I would argue... And the data's kind of come around on Jackie Bradley Jr. in Toronto, but over the last two years, Zimmer profiles as a bit better of a fielder. I'd probably take Jackie Bradley Jr. in a pinch, but on the bases, it's not particularly close that Zimmer is ahead of Jackie Bradley Jr. as a pinch run option at this point in their careers. Did that slight edge in defense over a larger edge on the bases surprise you a little bit? I think I'd rather have Bradley Zimmer in a combine and Jackie Bradley Jr. in a baseball game. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, I th- what's his 40 time? You know, I <laughs> think that Zimmer has better tools and better measurables, but I think that and subjective-wise and tangibles-wise, feel-wise, I think Jackie Bradley Jr. is the better call just as a ball player. So I think the Blue Jays just have more confidence in him right now as a defender and I don't think that you know Zimmer's like probably uh superior sprint speed and you know better foot speed in the outfield I don't think that's enough to overcome the fact that the Blue Jays just have more trust in Jackie Bradley Jr. right now but I do think that tomorrow Espinal starts at second and Whit Merrifield starts in left field I think that's what's going to happen against Robbie Ray yeah I think uh and great sign that Santiago Espinal is on this roster um he's always sounded a little ahead of Lourdes Gurriel Jr. so um that'll be good to see that bit of flex Flexibility is nice. Now, they could have kept both Jackie Bradley Jr. and Bradley Zimmer on this roster if they wanted to. And there were two ways to do that. One was to not have Gabriel Moreno on the roster as a third catcher. Moreno is on the roster. Um, Maybe he doesn't make it if Lourdes Gurriel is healthy. uh, And then you're not using Danny Jansen as the DH today, for example. But he is on it. Um, Where do you see the scenarios where Moreno could have a role in this series, especially given that Bradley Zimmer is not on this roster to pinch run for a um, an Alejandro Kirk or Danny Jansen. Like, I think Cabin Biggio is probably your pinch run option. Extra innings. If yeah. you're pinch hitting for Jansen as your DH, you know, tomorrow if Jansen's catching and Kirk's DHing, like, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I would imagine it might be. I think the Blue Jays just more comfortable having that third catcher, yeah. especially with extras right now, like, could go 15-16 again, right? Like, I mean, 15-16 innings. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I know those are loaded numbers around here to throw around. Uh, but, like, it's you, you don't have the zombie runner on second, so... Right. I think the Blue Jays just feel more comfortable. Again, I think they made a lot of their choices just with thoughts to roster flexibility and trying to, like, game plan and scenario plan for what they might encounter late in games. I think that's why I see a lot of of these decisions. The benefit of having, you know, seven or eight of your starters locked into the lineup too, right? You don't have to worry about, like, yeah, if Espinal were completely healthy, maybe you're looking at, oh, Espinal Tapia is a platoon. Um, or a Guriel Toppy as a platoon. But you have, you know eight of the guys who are going to be in the lineup every day for this series, and, and then it's just the Toppia question, really. So um, they could go – they they have a little bit of that certainty. Now, the other thing they could have done is not keep 13 pitchers. Yeah. Uh, they decided to keep 13 pitchers. If you missed it earlier, um, they've got the four starters we expected. Jose Brios, even though I don't think we're expecting him to start a game, is on the roster. Um the the bullpen was pretty telegraphed. We knew what was going to happen there. The big question mark was, is there a spot for Yusei Kikuchi? And you mentioned the situation he came into in game 162 against Baltimore. 
Tell me where the team's at on this confidence level that maybe something has clicked for Yusei Kikuchi, if not overall, then as a guy who has some utility against a very left-handed bottom of the Seattle order. It's like low leverage slash we're out of options, I guess, would be the trust level, right? Like those are the spots that you would find for you, say, Kikuchi. Obviously, Tim Mays is ahead of him against lefties. I think Jimmy Garcia is ahead of him against lefties. Trevor Richards is ahead of him against lefties. You could get to a spot, though, with this Seattle lineup. If you got like a Kalanick coming up or, you know, Crawford, Frazier kind of pocket of the of the lineup coming up. And you've used Meza, and you've used Garcia. Um, maybe you want to save Richards, or maybe you used Richards, or maybe he threw 30 pitches the day before, where you're thinking, we're going to Yusei Kikuchi here against the lefty. He's struck out 40% of the batters he's faced as a reliever, and yes, he's given up some very hard contact, and yes, he has hit some guys, and yes, he has walked some guys. But the stuff, when he is locating it, and it's in the zone, has been very effective, and he has neutralized lefties even when he was a starter this year. So I think that's kind of the situation for him. And like you said, that spot that they brought him into at Camden Yards, like that was a trial run Mm -hmm. of, okay, if we had to bring you into a spot in the bottom of the sixth inning with two on and one out, what would it look like and how would you respond? Can you get ready fast enough? Just that, that's something he hadn't experienced, right? I don't think he'd come in without a clean inning. All those things, right? Yeah, so the Blue Jays, you know, the, the trust is increasing in him against lefties. The thing is, you do it at Camden Yards. I was there. There was about 32 people there, right? And there was no energy in that place. To do it here with 49,000 plus, I mean, we've seen Yusei Kikuchi like struggle with the mental side of things mm-hmm. this year. Like, I don't think that's crazy to say. You know, we've seen things him get in his own head. So that's a big roll of the dice if you're bringing Yusei Kikuchi into a, into a big spot in this atmosphere. But it really would have to be a situation where John Schneider was like, this is my best option because I've used my other guys. And I'll tell you, you know, the scenario it could come into here. And we can look at the Mariners lineup. And today in the lineup, they'll hit lefties 7, 8, 9. Mm-hmm. And those lefties are Jared Kelnick, who barely has a hit against a left-handed pitcher this year. Adam Frazier, who has a 73 WRC plus against lefties over a pretty good sample, so not very good there at all. J.P. Crawford, who is okay against lefties. And then you've also got Cal Raleigh, who's a switch hitter who hits righties much better than lefties. Uh, Mitch Haniger, who's a righty but has reverse platoon splits over a pretty good sample. And then you have a bench where not a single one of them can hit lefties except for Dylan Moore. And Dylan Moore is their top pinch running option and their top defensive replacement option at a couple different spots where they might hesitate to pinch hit with him unless it's a double switch scenario. So you put some tough decisions on Scott Service if you if you do bring that lefty in. But yeah, it's uh, I, I don't imagine there will be any unclenched jaws in here if that uh, if that happens over the next three days. Well, the other thing about some of those matchups is the Blue Jays shift really aggressively. Um, so that plays into it as well as the type of defense you think you can put against some of those switch guys. The in Mariners particular. are the fourth most shifted team in baseball against yeah. uh, as well. So you're looking at Carlos Santana and uh, Cal Raleigh, Raleigh. when they hit from the right side, they get shifted more than almost anyone in baseball. You've also got um, Kelnick, Eugenio Suarez, um, who both get shifted a lot, and then you've got um, 
Taylor Trammell, if he gets into a game off the bench, is a super shifty guy as well. So, uh, yeah, you're going to see a lot of that. And, hey, smoke them while you got them because this is the last playoffs you can do that in. Dude, so first of all, yes, to Rally and uh, Santana, the Blue Jays have a very specific situation they want to put those hitters into. Yeah defensively the pitcher that they're facing they know where they think they can get those guys out secondly you're bang on there's going to be a shift restriction next year this series is going to show you why these two teams are going to shift the hell out of each other top five and shifts both of them the the, the mariners shift like crazy against right-handed hitters what's the blue jays lineup like loaded with right-handed hitters it's also interesting because the jays were the least shifted against team in all of baseball this year but against the Mariners, and it's small sample and much earlier in the year, the Mariners shifted against the Jays way more than any other team against the Jays. So even though the Jays, other than Biggio and to a lesser extent Jansen, um, they don't have a lot of guys you'd normally think to shift. This Seattle team against the Jays was like, no, the left side of our infield isn't good enough. We've got to shift like crazy against your righties. The discourse in Seattle about their lineup, very similar this regular season to the discourse here in Toronto about, man, these guys are streaky. Man, they're so stuck in their approach. Why won't they go the other way against, you know, why can't they just slap one into right or, you know, against the shift? Very similar to all year. Us saying, man, why won't Vlad go the other way? Teoscar just won't go the other way. He won't take what's given to him. I think that's going to come up in this series when these two teams are shifting the hell out of each other and these two lineups are trying to do what's, you know, not come out of their approach. Is this the time of year where you do take what's given to you? Is this the time of year where, and this, I don't, I'm making too much of this, but it was game one of 162, or so game 161, right? Game yeah. one of the doubleheader the other day in Baltimore. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in that game only to get 100 RBI. That's the <laughs> only reason that he's in that game, right? And he did not come up with runners on at all. And he took a first pitch that he saw to right and a second pitch that he saw to right. His first two plate appearances or two of his first three early count, he went to right. I was sitting at field level in the camera well. I swear he was trying to do that. I swear. Just what, getting the practice in since the RBI opportunities weren't there. Is he just kind of getting ready for the for the wild card round, thinking, hey, I should work on going the other way because I, the RBIs aren't there for me, so maybe I'll just get a little practice in right now. Today, I don't know, but maybe. Today is going to be a super interesting one in that regard, too, and we'll go into this a little bit more at 1.30 when we break down the pitcher-hitter matchups, but Luis Castillo is one of the starters in the league who is most extreme trying to get ahead in the count early and we know that the Jays love to jump on stuff yeah. early in the count so if Castillo's going up there and he's like I'm going to pound the zone early to try to work from ahead like there's a there's a clear uh, push pull yeah there's yeah. like a little bit of game theory going yeah. on here right like if you go up there and you're expecting Castillo to pound the zone and you're aggressive early and he pivots and he's like no no, no I'm not going to give you anything early in the count or vice versa it, it's going to be really fascinating to see it's like we were saying earlier about small samples like this is yeah. a time of year where like situational hitting going the other way like getting yeah. against going against shift yeah like you do that at this time of year or you know in May June when people are screaming about that stuff I'm like nope stick to your approach yeah. Do what's going to work over a long sample, over 162. Here's the other Pull thing, too, and power. this is a little cynical. Nobody looks at your playoff stats unless <laughs> yeah. you're a disaster or the MVP. Yeah. So when it comes, like, if you're over Make 162 outs. and yeah. you got to think about, like, oh, my RBI total, my average, my what are my home runs look like, what is my arbitration case looking like, yeah. you know, all that's out the window. You're either totally. the MVP or you're a bum. 
and then anyone in between, it just depends what the team does. So this is the time of year where you do stuff like that. Yeah. Right? You're shorting up and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to try to like hit the ball as hard as possible right now, which is what I've been trying to do all year to juice my exit velo stats. I'm going to just go the other way. I'll tell you, if do the right baseball thing. runs the bases like he did the last couple games, he'll, <laughs> he'll have gone from worst trade deadline acquisition in Toronto sports history to greatest trade deadline acquisition in Toronto sports. Like, he'll be right there with Mark Gasol in terms of guys you added at the deadline for a deep playoff run. Can I give you a quick Merrifield story? Absolutely. So the he's at third against Dean Kramer, right? And he scores on that breaking ball in the dirt that went like five feet from Adley Rutschman, maybe yeah. barely got past him. And by the time Adley gets to the ball, Witt's across home plate. So Witt was at third base and he told Louis Rivera, I'm going to go on a breaking ball. This guy's going to throw a breaking ball in the dirt and I'm going to go. And Louis was kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, okay, next pitch, breaking ball in the dirt. Because Witt had watched earlier in the game Kramer had thrown Bo Bichette nothing but breaking balls. They didn't want to give him a heater. And he filed that away. And this is now several innings later. And Witt's at third base remembering Bo's at bat against their pitcher from earlier in the game. Like, that is, like, super small baseball stuff that matters. Like, crazy intangibles for Witt. And risky against a catcher like Rutschman who handles that really well. For Witt to have those kind of instincts, that type of knowledge and like baseball intellect and that type of anticipation and then to go and get home on a ball that barely got away from Adley, that's that's something that could come up huge in the postseason if something like that presents itself again. Like that's some of the little intangible stuff that Whit Merrifield brings that like dorks like you and I will mm. never find on his savant page. No, uh, you probably won't. Um, <laughs> I got to let you go, but I got three really quick ones yeah. for you. Okay, Rapid first, uh, does Kevin Gosman start tomorrow? Depends. If the if the Blue Jays lose, he does. If they win, Ross Stripling starts. Okay. Uh, have you seen Edwin Encarnacion yet? Or if not him, the parent? Neither. Okay. That's that's the rumor. That's the tease <laughs> that Edwin's going to throw at the first pitch today. We'll see how that goes. Uh, last one. You are going to be back in this booth tomorrow alongside Ben Wagner for Game 2. How cool is it for you to get to be color commentary for the radio broadcast of a playoff game. Yeah, it's wicked, man. It's just been a crazy week. I was do I was the sideline reporter on uh, Monday to Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. I'm digital analyst and on TV mm-hmm. and then yeah, Friday I'm color commentary Saturday in Saturday, whatever days tomorrow. I'm yeah. color commentator. No idea. I just know it's within 6 days. I'm yeah, color commentator in the radio, but that's amazing. It's a dream come true to be able to do all those things in one week for playoff games in Toronto. Like I'm on cloud 9. It's amazing. And then you'll complain very, very briefly Monday when you have to shotgun travel to Houston. <laughs> but then it'll be by Tuesday, it'll be like, oh, this is so cool again, right? I mean, the play, yeah, I, I, you kind of accept, like, in the playoffs, you just, Ben and I were talking about this yesterday, you just hand your life over to the baseball gods. Yes. Like, I know I'm not getting a good workout this month. I know I'm not going to, like, spend much time on my mental health or anything like that, <laughs> right? Like, I know I'm not going to go for any nice, long, leisurely walks. Like, I just hand myself off to the baseball gods, and they take me where they take me, and I'm okay with that. Tell you this. I'm the only one here under the age of 50 who has championship experience covering a, a mm. championship in this city. Thank your lucky stars. The baseball playoffs are only, like, 29 days long and not yeah. two months. Because, uh, I'll tell you, two months without getting good workouts and good eating <laughs> habits in quickly becomes you just no longer have good eating habits or workout <laughs> habits as a person. You established some routines there yes. that have been hard to break. They yeah. say three weeks establish a routine. That Raptors playoff run <laughs> sent me on, like, a three-year uh, not in the gym enough, not eating well uh, enough. Arden Zwelling, i got to let you go. Yeah. Um, you mentioned talking to Ben. That's at the letter. 
Matters. If you're looking for more pregame content, you can check that new episode out from yesterday. Uh, you can check Arden's counterpart, Ben Nicholson-Smith, out later next to Ben Wagner here for Game 1. And then Arden will be back for Game 2 alongside Ben Wagner. Arden, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet, of At The Letters. Uh, he will, of course, be all over this series from a radio side, from a digital side. Probably see that handsome face on TV at some point, considering he's wearing a tie right now. Um, we will talk to Arden again as the Jays uh, carry on this playoff run, hopefully. Uh, yeah, you know what? Even if they don't, we'd probably bring Arden on to uh, rest in peace it. But that's not going to happen, right? We're optimistic. We're we're excited about the Jays' chances here. By the way, as Arden and I were talking, uh, the Blue Jays' infield was out for infield practice, uh, the usual four suspects fielding some balls. Santiago Espinal is uh, doing some fielding drills off to the side right now with Otto Lopez. Um, Otto Lopez still kicking around. Santiago Espinal, of course, on the 26-man roster, not starting today, but potential defensive replacement. And as Arden laid it out there, probably starting whatever game Robbie Ray starts in this series, which right now is penciled in for game two. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's go a little deeper on those pitching matchups. We're going to talk to Eno Saras of The Athletic, who is the guy when it comes to evaluating pitchers, the creator of Stuff Plus, of Pitching Plus. Uh, we'll see what he thinks of Manoa against Castillo, how these bullpens match up, and what he'd do games two and three if he were John Schneider and, and looking at the Gosman stripling decision. Eno Saras next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy down at Rogers Center. We got a couple Seattle Mariners out on the field getting their early work in. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hanging around, doing some extra fielding practice right now. A bunch of the Jays infielders out there. Santiago Espinal in particular now taking some ground balls at second base as he works his way uh, back. He is on the 26-man roster. John Schneider saying before the game that they'd use him as they've used their bench outfielder so far. So you could potentially see him as a defensive replacement, uh, maybe a pinch runner. Um, if... I was going to say if Seattle were to bring in a, a lefty, maybe you bring Espinal in. Uh, the only lefty in their bullpen is Matt Boyd. I don't think you're too worried about that, and I don't I don't really see a scenario where, unless it goes to extra innings, they'd use Matt Boyd uh, and risk him facing some of the Jays' tougher, tougher right-handed hitters. We are going to talk to Eno Saris in a moment here and line up some of the uh, pitching matchups in this series. Seattle does come in with a uh, very good bullpen. Uh, the Jays, the back end of the Jays bullpen, pretty good too. Um, we'll see what Eno thinks of how those break down. Um, John Schneider spoke before the game. I mean, everyone spoke a lot lately, but John Schneider spoke uh, before the game about his expectations for the team today and his expectations uh, for Alec Manoa, who's getting the ball here in game one. We've heard a lot about Manoa uh, in the days leading up to this. I think everyone's pretty excited about him getting the ball. Everyone seems uh, pretty confident in him getting the ball from both a team side and a fan side. Uh, John Schneider was asked about his expectations for that and for uh, his team in general 
today in game one of the wildcard series. This was John Schneider uh, earlier today. I think guys have been waiting for this for a little bit. Um, you know, it's a group that's very confident and very talented. So I think they're very excited to be here right now. As far as the atmosphere, I can't wait. Um, assuming it's going to be loud, assuming it's going to be very energetic, uh, roof's going to be closed, it's going to be a little bit extra probably because of that. But, you know, we know the passion of this fan base. And I think over the last couple of years with us not being here as well, it's going to be that much more. So trying to just enjoy the first couple of minutes and then get down to baseball. So that's pretty straightforward. Uh, fun five minutes, then get down to baseball. There's already some pomp and uh, circumstance, pomp and or circumstance. I'm not sure which one's which. Uh, down at Rogers Center, again, Jays and Mariners starting to get ready. You've got the spray-painted field uh, with the 2022 postseason logos. You've got the nice wild card sign on the screen here at Rogers Center. And uh, a rally towel on every seat in the Rogers Center. And when I say every seat... I'm talking all the way up to those 500-level seats that are in the little corner everywhere. Um, that call, by the way, that we came back on was Edwin Encarnacion's walk-off home run in the 2016 wildcard game against Baltimore Orioles. Now, I can see from the radio booth here where I was sitting for that one. These seats are better. However, I sat down the first baseline for that one uh, deep enough down the first baseline that I could see into the Orioles' bullpen and basically watched Zach Britton not get the call on the phone over and over again. Don't know that we'll see something as extreme as that uh, from Scott Service. We'll see how he uses Paul Sewald and Andres Munoz and the rest of what's a very good bullpen. Joining us now to help break down that bullpen and the pitching matchups in general is my pal Eno Saris of The Athletic. Eno, it's playoff time, man. How excited are you? All right, I cannot hear Eno. Uh, it sounds like he's connected there. Uh, we'll try again to connect with Eno. Maybe he's just so excited that he couldn't speak. Couldn't blame him if that was the case. We got four baseball games uh, throughout the day. We've got one on right now. The Rays and Guardians are underway. Check that game out um, on your Sportsnet channels, of course. Philly and St. Louis will start at 2.07, and then Jays Mariners at 4.07. Um, while we try to reconnect with Eno, a little rundown of what the next couple days are going to look like here on the Sports Radio Network, as well as, as well as on Sportsnet Television. So we are doing this 12-2 right now. Ben Ennis will be down here from the Rogers Center for drive time from two to four we'll kick it over to ben wagner and ben nicholson smith on the call for the game tonight um, we will then have blair and barker post game for jay's talk after every single playoff game so there's no no weekend crew it's blair and barker all the way through um show ali and i'll come to you with a pregame tomorrow and sunday if, if there's a game sunday um ben wagner and arden Welling on the call tomorrow if there's a game three, it'll be Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith again as Arden and BNS uh, rotate that back and forth. So it'll be wall-to-wall Jays stuff on Sports at 590, the fan, and extended pregames and Blue Jay Centrals on Sports at Television as well. Uh, Dome's still closed down here. It's, uh, you know, only 9 or 10 degrees out. It's supposed to rain a little bit later. Uh, so the Jays potentially pushing that decision back. Uh, see what time the rain comes and how quickly it clears. I personally would appreciate the dome being open. 
it's cold out, but uh, it's always a little more fun with the dome open. We'll see how the day progresses in that regard. Um, as we try to reconnect with the Eno Saris here, um, it is Alec Manoa against Luis Castillo tonight. Hard to imagine a better matchup of fastballs. This is two of the best righty fastballs in baseball. Um, Alec Manoa is doing some deeper dives through what certain pitchers have done against right-handed batters over the last couple years in baseball. And the list of pitchers who have had seasons as good as Manoa's against right-handed hitters is Matt Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. That's it. That's the whole list. That's how hard Manoa has been on righties. So it's not all that surprising then that the Mariners are going with additional lefties. They're always pretty lefty heavy, but they've juggled their lineup just a little bit off of what we normally see um, to try to take advantage of. When we say Alec Manoa has platoon splits, we don't mean lefties hit him well. It's just righties have next to no chance, and lefties hit him uh, a little better. So here's how the Mariners are going to line up for today. Julio Rodriguez will lead off. He'll be followed by Ty France, Eugenio Suarez, Cal Raleigh, who bumps up to the four spot. He normally hits a little later in that lineup. Mitch Hanniger, Carlos Santana, Jared Kelnick, Adam Frazier, J.P. Crawford. So three lefties at the bottom there. Raleigh and Santana, both switch hitters. Uh, In Santana's case... He hits lefties much better than he hits righties. Um, Raleigh is the opposite. So Raleigh's on the the strong side of his platoon here. Santana on the weak side of his. Both of those guys, you can expect to get shifted like crazy today. Um, Both of those guys are pull hitters, uh, especially when they hit from the left side. Um, Carlos Santana has been shifted in 98% of his play appearances this year. Raleigh, 96%. Um, you're also going to look for heavy shifts against Jared Kelnick, who's a lefty, uh, against Eugenio Suarez, who's a righty. And if we see Taylor Trammell or Abraham Toro at any point, I, I'd expect to see them shifted against pretty heavily as well. The Jays, of course, have shifted a lot all year. There was a stretch where they were the most shift-heavy team in baseball. They fell all the way to third by the end of the season. They are playing a Mariners team that was shifted the fourth most often in baseball. So this is a group you can shift against and will shift against a lot anyway. Uh, The Jays are probably going to do this on just about every pitch and every plate appearance uh, today. Maybe a little less so with Kevin Gosman, but you'll probably see it again with Ross Stripling too. On the other side, it's a pretty fascinating shift decision for the Seattle Mariners to make. So the Mariners shifted almost the exact same amount as the Blue Jays this year. The Jays were third, the Mariners were fourth, but the Toronto Blue Jays were shifted against less than any other team in baseball. So what do the Mariners do here? They're a shift-heavy team against a team you don't normally shift against. Well, when these teams played earlier in the year, the Mariners shifted more heavily against the Blue Jays than any other team the Jays saw this year. Some of that is maybe just philosophy in general. Part of it is probably that the left side of their infield isn't particularly strong. J.P. Crawford had a pretty poor series a season when we look at uh, a metric like outs above average. He also has a below average arm. You look at Adam Frazier, he was, you know, better than expected, maybe, but not a, an elite arm there and not a 
you know, certainly not good enough to cover for J.P. Crawford's uh, somewhat limited play there. So uh, I would expect that at some point we'll see Dylan Moore as a defensive replacement somewhere, potentially even as a pinch hitter. He is the one guy off the bench uh, for the Mariners worth noting. They're also carrying Kirk Asali and Luis Torrens, uh, as well as Abraham Toro and Taylor Trammell. Not sure those guys have as much of a, a role in this series. Uh, Trammell is an okay outfielder, but he has a, a subpar arm. He does hit fastball as well, so maybe there's a scenario there where against the, the back end of the Jays bullpen, he could come in to face, say, an Anthony Bass, who has platoon splits. Uh, we'll see how that works out. The other thing to note on the defensive side in this series is that Alejandro Kirk and Cal Raleigh are right near the top of the league in pitch framing. So I don't want to do umpire talk on a show like this, but uh, that's going to be something people are watching out for, I think. Um, it is Lance Barrett behind the plate tonight. We'll see Todd Titchener and Brian Knight as well. Um, Titchener and Knight are well above average when it comes to the umpire metrics we can look at. Lance Barrett's pretty rough, so today could be a, a funny one with two of the best pitch framers in baseball uh, behind their respective plates. The Jays made some 26-man roster decisions today. Uh, they have their roster set for this three-game wildcard series. You can't make a change unless there's an injury. You can change it for the ALDS if you make it through. But for these three games, the Jays made their decisions, and we kind of hot-shotted through them with Arden's Welling in the last segment. I don't think we're going to be able to connect with Eno Saris here. So we'll go through what the Jays' lineup looks like for today and how those roster decisions inform that. So George Springer will lead off, followed by Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk catching Alec Manoa, as we've seen him do an awful lot this year. Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman, Rymel Tapia, the lone lefty in the lineup, plays in left field. Danny Jansen gets the DH nod, and Whit Merrifield hits ninth and starts at second. So a couple decisions that go into that lineup. The first is Danny Jansen playing DH instead of catching. If Alec Manoa wants to pitch to Alejandro Kirk in a game this big, Alec Manoa pitches to Alejandro Kirk. That's simple. Then it's a question of do you want Danny Jansen in the lineup at DH or potentially someone else. Danny Jansen hasn't been great against elite velocity this year, so this is kind of a tough series for him. You would prefer, were he healthy, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in that DH spot, probably. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has been one of the better hitters in baseball against elite velocity, and you're going to see a lot of that in this series from Seattle. But Lourdes Gurriel Jr. isn't ready to go. We saw him taking some hacks earlier against Merriweather and Gage here at Rogers Center. Um, Arden telling us that the team is hopeful he'd be ready to go for the divisional series if the Jays make it, but not ready enough to be on this roster. So Tapia gets a nod in left field. Merrifield starts at second. Santiago Espinal is active. He's out here getting some extra fielding work in right now. Um, Espinal could start against Robbie Ray, I think. John Schneider talked about him as if he's a late-game replacement. I think against a lefty as tough as Robbie Ray... You don't want Tapia in there. Maybe you bump Whit Merrifield to a corner outfield and start Santiago Espinal. Uh, the bench, by the way, is Espinal, Gabriel Moreno, Kevin Biggio, who, because Bradley Zimmer isn't on this roster, probably becomes your top pinch running option, and Jackie Bradley Jr., who got the nod over Zimmer. Uh, we went into some of those decisions with Arden Zwelling a little earlier. Um, John Schneider was asked before the game today about 
using Danny Jansen in that DH spot and what went into that decision. Um, here's John Schneider explaining that move a little earlier. His at-bats have been tremendous, and I think, you know, for a long, not a long time, but for the first part of his career, especially when he got to the big leagues, he was trying to do um, things that maybe not were his strength. And, you know, this year kind of leaned into what made him really good um, in terms of pulling the ball and in terms of, you know, trying to do some damage. So I think that's translated into, you know, better swings as a whole. And, um, you know, love his at-bats right now, love the aggressiveness, um, couldn't be happier for him for kind of turning it around. Um, so, yeah, happy for him, and it's been a great addition for us uh, the way he's gone about it. So, Danny Jansen, we'll see. He's gotten better as the year's gone on uh, in terms of not being just the dead pull power hitter. He's gotten better at hitting um, breaking balls over the course of the year. He's been the best hitter on the team by weighted runs created plus if we lower the the threshold because he obviously didn't have enough plate appearances to qualify. So we're not getting Eno Saris from the Athletic, but I want to go into some of what we were going to talk about with Eno. Um, so Eno, you've heard him on Jays Talk Plus a couple times over the course of the year. He has a couple of metrics he uses at the Athletic, stuff plus, location plus, pitching plus. So basically, how good is your stuff? How hard is it? How much does it move? How much swing and miss do you get? Location plus, pretty straightforward. How well do you locate? Do you get guys to chase outside the zone? Um, do you give a lot of free passes? And then pitching plus kind of blends those together. It's a pretty fascinating series. We'll start with Alec Manoa, who doesn't grade out like anything special by that metric. And you can look at things like strikeout rate, and maybe Manoa doesn't pop to you there. But Alec Manoa hasn't had a bad start this year uh 31 starts 31 outings where he went five or more and 31 outings where he was at worst giving you a 41st percentile outcome it's just there there haven't been bad starts um i wanted to talk to Eno about at what point like what size sample what a number of years in the league do we believe that a pitcher has some control over that, that Alec Manoa can go out there and be like, well, I don't need to be a strikeout guy. I can pitch to contact a little bit more because no one can hit my stuff anyway, and that'll allow me to be more efficient and go deeper into games. We're going to talk to Chris Black at 130. He's got some fun data on maybe showing evidence that Alec Manoa actually does that over the course of games and leverage situations. Uh, so we'll talk to Chris about that. Now, in Game 2, you'd have, or Game 3, um, Kevin Gosman, who is the number one pitcher in baseball based on that pitching plus metric, the, the number one starter, rather. Gosman has top-tier chase rates and swing and miss rates. He doesn't walk anyone, doesn't give up a lot of home runs. We've talked about this all year, how his batting average on balls in play and things like fielding independent pitching suggests he's been a little unfortunate. Well, Eno's metric, which holds up pretty well under statistical scrutiny, says Kevin Gosman has been one of the best pitchers in baseball, uh, despite having an ERA that's a little higher than his underlying metrics might suggest. The Jays would also start Ross Stripling in a series, um, I think. We haven't had that confirmed, but I, I personally am more comfortable with Ross Stripling than Jose Brios. Ross Stripling, second only to Aaron Nola, in ability to locate pitches, you, again, using Eno's uh, location plus metric, Ross Stripling, the second best command guy in among starters after Aaron Nola. That's, uh, that's pretty, 
pretty impressive. Um, Luis Castillo, we'll get into a little bit more with Mike Petriello and Chris Black uh, in the second hour of the show. I want to take a look at why he's gone away from his changeup as the season's progressed. Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, guys we'll talk about as well. We can tee them up a little bit more uh, the next two days in our pregame shows with Show Ali um, because those are their start days and we'll know uh, who's going it, when and who they're going up against. The other thing to watch in this one is the bullpen matchup. We talked about it yesterday with a couple of different guests, but the back end of Seattle's bullpen is very strong. Paul Sewald has emerged as one of the better closers in baseball by stuff plus or swing and miss rate or whatever you want to do. Seawald grades out extremely well. So does Andres Munoz. Um, that fastball slider combination is among the best in baseball that you're going to see in a bullpen. Mariners have some depth to their bullpen as well. Um, you're looking at Diego Castillo, Matt Brash, uh, Eric Swanson. I personally don't have a, a lot of time for the Matt Boyds and Penn Murphys of the world. I don't. I think those are probably their equivalent of Trevor Richards and Yusei Kikuchi in this series. Um, by the way, I laid out the whole Jays roster except for the bullpen. Uh, Jordan Romano, of course, Anthony Bass, Jimmy Garcia, Adam Simber, Tim Meza, David Phelps, and then the three kind of spots that would have been question marks earlier in the year, Zach Pop, Trevor Richards, Yusei Kikuchi getting the nod as a 13th pitcher instead of an extra position player. Uh, John Schneider saying there are scenarios um, where Yusei Kikuchi could have some utility. Uh, extra inning protection, an option later in the lineup where the Mariners are so lefty heavy, and it was unlikely the Jays would use two defensive replacements in the outfield in Jackie Bradley Jr. and Bradley Zimmer. Um, so that is what went into that decision. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go talk to Mike Petriello of MLB.com. We get the honor of meeting Mike Petriello in person, by the way. He's here in Toronto for this wildcard series. Uh, Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet, will join us a little later as well. And you can send us texts. Uh, there are some in there, 590, 590. Uh, we'll, I'll at least reply to them, but we'll uh, scatter them out throughout the last hour as well. Mike Petriello of MLB.com is next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. One on Jose. All eyes on the mound and the bearded Sam Dyson. Now he comes up. Kicks. The 1 1 pitch. Fly ball deep left field. Yes, sir. There she goes. Blue Jays 6, Rangers 3. Welcome back to Jays Top Plus. I'm Blake Murphy joining you from down at Rogers Center. That was the call of Jose Batista's bat flip home run. If you want to relive that a little bit more or hear from the man himself, Jose Batista was on the Fan Morning Show this morning with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Uh, you can check that out on the Fan Morning Show podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Blair and Barker had a show earlier as well, the Blair and Barker podcast feed, of course. They'll also be doing Jay's Talk post game. Every playoff game, uh, which you can find in the Blue Jays Talk podcast feed. JD had a show in there somewhere, too. You can check out the JD Bunkus podcast. Uh, Got to give him the, the nod there, of course. Um, join now in person for the first time by Mike Petriello 
of MLB.com. Mike, great to meet you in person. How are you? I'm doing great. Usually when I talk to you, Blake, it's from my basement in Brooklyn. And here I am not only sitting next to you, but looking out over the Rogers Center where they're setting up for the game. Where else could I possibly want to be? I don't know. Uh, the only way this could be better right now, and we can blame Ben Nicholson-Smith for this mm. because he's the one who tweeted it out, uh, indications are that the Dome is staying closed today. You know, I was surprised when I walked around how humid and sweaty I was. Like, I walked around this morning to get some coffee, and I'm like, this is great. There's a nice chill in the air, and I came in here, and, it, you know, open it. Let's do it. Yeah, they are not going to, according to Ben Nicholson-Smith, who, if anyone is upset about that, I have it on good authority. Ben Nicholson-Smith is the one who makes that decision. So go tweet at him, yell at him. It's his fault that the Dome is closed. Uh, it is supposed to rain a little bit later, at least a bit. Um, it is, oh, Ben Nicholson-Smith now confirming it will be closed. What a jerk. You know, as someone who doesn't live here and is not a local, the novelty of indoor baseball is not lost on me. I don't get to do this very often, so I'm a little bit excited about that aspect. I'm curious about, I wasn't going to go here initially. I was going to go here later. But while we're talking about the ballpark, the Seattle Mariners had a bit of a weird season offensively because they ranked near the top of the league, eighth, I believe, in weighted runs created plus, which is a metric that accounts for things like park factors, but they were 18th in runs scored. That, to me, screams T-Mobile Park is a little pitcher-friendly, and some of the stuff going into your offense isn't playing. Um, when you look at their pitchers, though, Robbie Ray, who is a little home run prone, Luis Castillo, who hasn't faced a good offense in, like, two months now, um, how do you factor, how do you weigh those factors? Obviously, we don't have, like, a nice, clean, tidy park factor translation as much as we'd like to. Uh, but uh, a team that comes from a pitcher's park now playing this series in a hitter's park, how do you kind of weigh that out? I think I would a little more if they were more extreme. If they were coming from, let's say, Coors Field or Miami, which is death on hitters. Uh, City Field is death on hitters. Uh, it's a slight pitcher's park there, but it's not so much of a big difference. And even here, you know, it's a slight hitter's park, but yeah. it's not Cincinnati or, you know, Baltimore before they changed the wall. The other thing, too, and it, this is difficult to suss out, and it probably doesn't change your overall point. When you look at a season-long ranking of these teams, it's not necessarily the guys who are playing today, right? right? Some of this stuff happened early in the season. You know, somebody gets hurt, somebody gets traded. Somebody doesn't make the roster. You know, Lourdes Gurriel is not on the roster. They're not going to see much Kikuchi, I wouldn't think. And the same thing for Seattle. Jesse Winker's not going to be playing on this roster. You know, so you got to kind of look at the guys who are here today and not necessarily worry about, well, what did somebody else do in April that still goes into the team stats? So what we can look at is, you know, I mean, we can narrow that down by time frame. We can look at who's on the roster right now. I see Jordan Romano walking in from the bullpen right now. Um, let's use Romano walking down as a, a jump-off point for the bullpens because that's something that both of these teams were better at down the stretch than they were earlier in the year, which is, is relief pitching. Uh, I know that Jordan Romano is a guy that you've gotten higher and higher on as the year's gone on to the extent that you had to inflate Chris Black's ego. And I hate to do that to Chris Black. He's not standing behind us anymore. No. You know what I learned about Jordan Romano? And I, I tweeted this out before because I was hoping somebody would say, no, that can't possibly be right. You did it wrong. And nobody said that, so this must be right. Did you realize he has not walked a right-handed batter since June? Setting aside, oh. he had some intentional walks. Those don't count. But he has not walked a right-handed batter since June 30th. That's like over three months ago. That sounds pretty good. And he's done that with a really neat trick. He's not throwing more strikes which is kind of counterintuitive. What he's doing is he's throwing more sliders. He's getting more chase. You can't walk guys when they're swinging at the balls you have. And I think that's important because if there's one flaw to Romano's game, at least if you look at the data, he gives up loud contact. Like his hard hit rate is usually pretty poor. And yet it hasn't killed him in the way you'd think. 
And I think this is part of it because he's not letting guys get on in other ways. Yeah, which is a, a good way to do it, right? A solo home run doesn't hurt you as badly as a three-run home run, it, it turns out. Um, when you look at these bullpens as a whole, um, the Jays' bullpen has been pretty good down the stretch, but they don't have the type of swing and miss stuff we normally associate with an elite bullpen. Seattle's on the other end. Since the trade deadline, they are number two in swinging strike rate as far as bullpens go. Um, when it comes playoff time, do you care more or, or less about swinging strike rate versus just guys who can get it done situationally? That, I think, is the number one thing I care about okay. out of the bullpen. You know, I mean, it's it's not like getting ground balls is a bad thing. It's not like inducing weak contact is a bad thing. You want those things. Yeah, we love Zach Pop's 98-mile-an-hour sinker. I Listen, there is no doubt that the Mariners have a better bullpen than yeah. the Blue Jays. I don't think anybody will be shocked by that. I know the Mariners' bullpen didn't actually perform that well over the last couple weeks of the season. Not that worried about that. You know, you can say it's been a long year for them, going cross-country again. Are they a little, you know, tired? Possibly. Uh, but since you brought up the bullpen, I'm going to I'm gonna hijack your show for a second. I have a question for you. Okay. If you look at the bottom of the Mariners' roster, or the lineup, excuse me, it's almost entirely left-hand. Yeah. Lefty, lefty, lefty. Let's say one of these games gets into the bullpen. You know Tim Mays is going to be that guy. Let's say it comes up again. Do you go with Kikuchi, or are you going to say, no, I, I can't trust him, it's Zach Pop or it's Adam Simber? How do you approach that? Because I've been asking myself that all day. So I like Zach Pop as someone who profiles well as, like, split neutral. That heavy sinker, I don't really see why lefties would be able to tee off on it more than righties. Um, this team has generally used Trevor Richards as their second lefty because he's got the reverse platoon splits going on. I'd be tempted to use Kikuchi. Even when Kikuchi was struggling as a starter, he was still really hard on lefties. And you look at this team, it's not only that they have lefties at the bottom of the order. Jared Kelnick, I don't know that he has a hit off a lefty this year. Adam Frazier has been a disaster against lefties. Um, and, and then you look at the bench options, and yeah, Dylan Moore hits lefties really well. He's the one bench option you could use to counter that. But if you're talking about three lefties in a row and one of them's going to come out for Dylan Moore, you're probably going to see at some point anyway, I might roll the dice with it. it not, it's not my first choice. It's not something I really want to do. It's maybe like if that comes up in the 11th inning. But yeah, I, I, I think there's a case to be made that Seattle is among the best teams you could possibly draw for using Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah, I know nobody trusts him, and I know when he was pitching out of uh, the bullpen, there were still walks, there were still yeah. home runs, but Relief Kikuchi had like a 40% strikeout yeah. rate. Almost <laughs> two per inning. Yeah, which is amazing, and I get it. You don't trust him. You don't want to put him there, but I, I think you got to think about it, and that's why when he made the roster and Bradley Zimmer didn't, I saw some angst about it, and I'm like, Bradley Zimmer cannot hit. You've got Jackie Bradley Jr. to be your backup outfielder. You're not going to take out two of your starting outfielders late in the game you got to have that lefty. That's at least my, my opinion. Yeah, I, I was fine with that. I, I kind of went back and forth on the 13 versus 12 pitchers, just you know, going through scenarios. How often would you use a 13th pitcher in a three-game must-win? But it's also possible we could have an extra innings game. You never know, right? And without Kikuchi, they don't have a, a long guy in the bullpen because, of course, Stripling is starting now, and Mitch White has been shot to the moon back in Buffalo. Um in terms of that Jackie Bradley Jr. Bradley Zimmer decision, it feels like we're devoting a lot of time to it on this show, but it is one of the tangible things right now that, that they had to choose between. We could put Gabriel Moreno in that discussion as well um, because, you know, you could have had Zimmer on instead of a third catcher. When you look at that decision between Bradley and Zimmer, you're a, a data guy, a stat cast guy. Those two guys have basically only played as 
late-inning replacements or bottom-of-the-order once-in-a-while starts. Um, does the, is the data, like, is there enough fidelity in it for us to really judge what those guys are like as base runners or fielders? Are we stuck mostly eye test in that spot? I think that Jackie Bradley has enough history of being one of the most elite outfielders in baseball. If you want to say he's not at his peak right now, that's fine. I'll, I'll probably buy that. But he's an upgrade, I think, over any other outfielder the Blue Jays have. I would agree with that. And I think he's better than Zimmer, too. I mean, Zimmer is one of those guys where he's like an elite, I don't want to say five tools, but he's got the tools, right? He's got a great arm, and he can run fast, and he can throw hard, and he just cannot hit at all. And the fielding has been inconsistent at times. And even if you look at Bradley and how he hasn't really hit much either, I mean, he's got he's got postseason history. You know, like, I'm willing to kind of take that into the equation here. And I think if you're making the choice between the two of them, I mean, that's it's pretty clear to me. You know, like you're probably not going to want both of them. And if I'm picking between one or the other, I want the guy with the track record who I think is the better fielder. Do you worry at all about the Jays' lack of a natural pinch running option? Because Jackie Bradley Jr. is not much of a base runner at this stage. I think you're probably using Cabin Biggio as your as your top base runner, and he's more of a, you know, he's a smart and savvy base runner. He's not going out there and stealing your base. For I'm sure. I'm entertained by the idea that could be Gabriel Moreno. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't it's, think it well, will. Well, you're going to be, be but... pinch running for a catcher, right? right. That's, that's almost certainly going to be who you're pinch running yeah. for. Uh, I'm not that concerned about it just because this is not a team that plays that style of baseball. This is not a small ball team. Yeah. You know, like they're bottom five and stolen base rate. I think they're second worst or something like that. They don't really go first to third that often. They don't drop down a sack bunt. They don't platoon. Like they are what they are. They're saying, here are our guys. We're either going to hit the ball or we're not. So you're right. Would I like Zimmer in that situation? It probably. Does that really seem like the style that this team's going to play? Like they, no. just, they don't. Uh, in terms of small ball, I guess this isn't, this isn't really – small ball it's more like beta ball or something like that um, and it's going to be different next year but these two teams are two of the sh the most heavy shifting teams in baseball i think they rank third and fourth toronto and seattle respectively seattle the fourth most shifted against the toronto blue jays were the least shifted against team in all of baseball if you're the mariners and your identity all year has been we shift a ton in part because we don't super trust the left side of our infield um, but you have a jays opponent that most of the league has said, no, we don't shift against this team. What are you doing if you're Scott Service? Well, I think a lot of that is just because that's who the Blue Jays roll out. They don't have a lot of left-handed hitters. Yeah. You know, and when they do, they don't have the, uh, let's say, Max Muncie type, the Joey Gallo type, the Anthony Rizzo type, where you're obviously going to do the shifting. So I, I think you're going to see less shifting from them because the Blue Jays are not a good opponent for it. But I also think people too, put too much thought into, like, the binary is a shift right. or not a shift. There's positioning. Even Degrees next year. of shift. Even next year, where you can't have the overshift, you're still going to have the guy standing right up the middle taking that hit away. I think that's what people haven't quite wrapped their heads around yet. So I think what you're going to see with the, the Mariners today is that yeah, they're going to be interestingly positioned. I don't necessarily know that it's going to be a great deal of shifting. And as far as the Blue Jays go, like, yeah, they are one of the heavy shifting teams in baseball, but they have really dialed it down. That first month, yeah. it was like 75% shifts, and everybody's like, what is happening here? And then they've, they've brought it back, and I don't even think they're first anymore. You should no, say the they're third. third, exactly. Um, so they've dialed it back, and I think that's good. I think there's maybe too much of a good thing there. Yeah, that, that's fine. And I get a kick out of the four-man outfield, and, and I know that the stats say they've they've gotten a lot of extra runs saved from their positioning and stuff. Um, you also have some pretty good defenders, so I, I think uh, you could just trust them at certain points. Although the Seattle team, you, you look at Santana or, or Rayleigh, um, those are shift-heavy guys, so I, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be fun to see how that plays out. Um, on the defensive side in general, I don't love the Mariners infield defensively. Um, J.P. Crawford in particular is a guy who I think you know, his decline 
his reputation hasn't caught up with his decline as a fielder. Uh, it's a pretty interesting outfield, though, in that you have Julio Rodriguez out there. You have Jared Kelnick in left now, um, who was playing a center field for you. And both of those guys have pretty good arms, too. So w what do you make of the, the outfield battle here? And then the, the, the Trammell is playing the other outfield spot for them, right? Who's yeah, he's off the bench today. But, oh, okay, um, okay. Sorry, I didn't see I the line of Hanniger's playing, uh, playing. Got right it. Okay, field. so, I mean, if Trammell comes in, he has one of the weakest throwing arms in all yes. baseball, which is why I brought it up. They have a really weird outfield situation right now where, you know, Kellenick or, or Hanniger may be the only, like, fully healthy guys. Because Rodriguez is yeah. playing, but he just missed some time with a back injury. They are really, really going to miss Sam Haggerty, who injured his leg last week. He's a very fast and very good defensive outfielder. And Rodriguez is a very good center fielder. So, like, let's give him credit. But they're in a really weird spot. Kellenick was in the minors two weeks ago. And he came up, and I think he hit, like, three homers in his first five games or whatever. Yeah. And he's got, like, one homer in the last – or one hit – in the last 10 games since. I know you asked about defense, but like that's no, a clear I, weak spot for them. Of course. And even Hanniger has not hit at all since he's come off the, the deal. So it's like up the middle, they're strong on offense and strong on defense. And in the corners, I don't trust them on either side of the ball. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough way to, to make your living, I guess. Um, with Julio Rodriguez, obviously a, a stack cast darling on any way you cut it, darling. He's a highlight reel. He's got the baseball card stats, the stack cast stats. Just how special is this kid? And he's only 21. Like, Jays, Jays fans do the thing where, like, um, when the Orioles post about Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson and all their young guys, Jays fans will be like, oh, yeah, guess what? Vlad and Bo and Kirk and Manoa are the same age or younger than those top prospects. And Julio Rodriguez is, like, three years younger than all the Jays young guys. It's pretty fascinating to see how good he's gotten out quickly. I can tell you, like, I've been fortunate enough to attend a lot of cool baseball events over the last couple of years. But this year I got to go to the Home Run Derby in Los Angeles and to watch that show in person. And that was awesome. And not only, like, the obvious power display at, at a young age, but just to see, like, how he interacts with all the other young stars. Like, I haven't met him. I don't want to say he worked close personal friends or whatever, but every single thing I've ever heard or read about him says that the person is as good as the player. And when you think about, like, who do we want the faces of the next generation of baseball to be, if he's not at the top of the list, he's pretty close. You know, like, that is the best thing for baseball right now. One of the best things for baseball you could have in that regard is the first plate appearance today is going to be Alec Manoa against Julio Rodriguez, and I'd imagine, not to put words in your mouth, Manoa's pretty high on that list, too. Yeah, I kind of wish they could both be mic'd up for that. Yeah. I know it's a playoff <laughs> game. No one would ever allow that. Like, I totally get it, but just to imagine what, like, the internal conversations would be right there, that's going to be pretty special, and I don't want to put, like, too much pressure on one plate appearance, but I think we agree the bottom half of the Seattle lineup is pretty weak. Yeah, it, I, I, to it, the extent that I would say, you know, if Julio Rodriguez doesn't look like Julio Rodriguez, it's hard to see Seattle, and it's three games, anything can happen, but it is hard to see them scoring enough if Julio Rodriguez doesn't look like he's all the way back. If you can keep him, let's say, I don't know, one for four with a single or whatever, just not damage, and then all of a sudden they got to rely on the rest of that lineup, especially the bottom half. Now, Suarez has had a really good year, and he's come back, and uh, Cal Raleigh's had a, you know, a couple of really big hits, but this is not really an opposing lineup. It certainly doesn't compare to the Blue Jays, and he's their guy, and he's hitting first. So, like, every everything is too much to say. But a huge amount of the game comes down to what happens in that first plate appearance and everything else that Rodriguez does. <sighs> That's uh, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of late-game scenarios now, too. Obviously, um, we, we went through the Kikuchi against the bottom half of the order thing on that side of it. On the Toronto side, Seattle is in interestingly lined up against the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays are almost all righties, and their lefties aren't the type of guys you, you would super worry about. Um, Matt Boyd, the only lefty in the Mariners' bullpen. 
what would the pecking order be for you if you're the Mariners in the bullpen? Because I know Seawald has been the, the de facto closer, but you could make a case that Munoz or even Swanson have been their best reliever. There is no wrong answer there. I, I think that's a really good problem for Scott Service to have, if it's even a problem at all, which is not. Um, I do think Andres Munoz is maybe the best pitcher that not enough people know about. Yeah, the fastball slider combination it's, there is just it's ridiculous. I cannot believe they got him in the same trade they got Ty France. Really? Yes. I'm, I, almost, I'm like, they made a lot of trades, those two teams, yeah. so now you're making me second-guess myself. I'm like pretty sure that's true. Uh, it was where Austin Nola, not Aaron Nola, Austin Nola went back to San Diego. I'm like 99% sure yeah. that's right. You didn't even mention uh, Diego Castillo. Yeah, Diego Castillo as well. has to be one of the most terrifying guys to face because I'm not sure he ever knows where the pitch is going to go, but it's always 99. And so the answer to your question is it's less about like platoon setups and more about like what kind of terrifying pitch do I want to have available? Do I want Matt Brash out here or, or Festa if I want that kind of shape? Do I want, you know, Sewell? They can mix and match these guys. Like I know Sewell is the nominal closer for the most part, but it doesn't have to be, and I, I don't think necessarily it will be. Yeah, and you you were right about that trade, by the way. There are four guys on this Seattle wildcard roster from that same trade. Uh, it was Austin Adams, Dan Altavia, and Austin Nola mm. for Ty France, Andres Munoz, Taylor Trammell, and Luis Torrance. That's uh, that's a good haul for three guys who I could not tell you where those three guys are playing right now. Well, I'm pretty sure Altavilla is injured, but yeah, if you look at the uh, the date on that, August 31st of 2020, yep. like halfway through history's weirdest season, and that's going to be one of the most impactful trades for the next five years of baseball. Yeah, and Austin Nola, I, I guess he's playing half the time for San Diego in, in the... Uh, more than that, he's the yeah. regular catcher. Alfaro's okay. hurt. And, right, uh, right, you know. right, right. Yeah, that's uh, quite the trade. Seven, six wild card roster guys between the two teams in one trade. That's a... Uh, it's a fascinating one. Um, starting pitching matchup, quickly before I, l- I let you go here, Mike. Um, we're going to do a lot on Manoa Castillo with Chris Black in, a, in our next segment. Um, but in general, when you look at this series, I guess first, I, I've been kind of asking everyone this. What's your take? How would you line up games two and three if you're these two teams? Well, I guess if I'm the Blue Jays, I'm, I'm not going to worry about, you know, if we win, we're going to do this, and if we lose, we're going to do that. I obviously don't know the state of Kevin Gosman's finger anymore. Sounds than you like do, it's but, all good. Yeah, assuming that's true. I know he can't throw the splitter in bullpens. Otherwise, that just makes it worth, so it's kind of a risk. But I do feel like there's such a thing as getting a little too cute. You know, like if you win today, throw Gosman tomorrow, get it over with, Hopefully, right? And then I think you got to go, if you're in game three, you got to go stripling. Yeah. Like, I, you cannot risk that. Because then, you know, if you need to get to the next series and if you have to start Barrios in game one, well, I mean, he's still a talented pitcher. Yeah. You're rolling the dice a little bit. So, And you've got an off day to set your bullpen up. Yeah, that, that seems like the kind of, it's not really that much of a question to me. I understand the alternative and how you might want to game theory it, but that, that seems dangerous for the sake of being dangerous. And for Seattle, while well, we know Castillo's going today, it sounds like they're going to go Robbie Ray. Mm-hmm. I think I'd go Logan Gilbert. I mean, you have seen Robbie Ray in person here more than I have. You know how dominant that he can be. And yet there's just something that feels a little bit off about it this year. And Gilbert, the only thing I would say to counteract that a little bit young guy near the end of a very long season for him, kind of the same thing for George Kirby, who didn't have a great end of the year. Again, there might not be a right or wrong answer there, but I, I really like Logan Gilbert. Yeah, Robbie Ray, uh, 15 homers surrendered to righties this year. It's a lot. It's a, or sorry, jeez, that was just at home. 28 homers (laughs) surrendered. I read it and I was like, I looked at the stat. It's like, oh yeah, 15 to righties, one to lefties. That that seems right. And it is roughly the right ratio, but that is just at home. Uh, 28 home runs surrendered to righties this year. Considerably worse. Makes a a lot more sense. Um, That's a... 
That's a pretty rough number, almost two per nine uh, on the road as well. Yeah, and I think they're going to go with him because he's their guy. You know, yeah. you gave him a big contract, and he's the veteran, and he's familiar with the ballpark and all of that. But if I'm the Blue Jays, you don't want to say I want to see Robbie Ray, but I think you know him so well. You know what he does? I, he introduced a bit more of a, a sinker to Seymour this year, so he's slightly different than the guy you saw last year. Um, but I really like I like Logan Gilbert, and if I'm Seattle, I don't like the idea of potentially not pitching him in a postseason if it gets to that point. Yeah, it's tough. He's been really, really good. And another guy who throws super hard, no matter what order they trot these guys out in, the Jays are going to see uh, a ton of velocity. You mentioned Lourdes Gurriel not being there. Um is you know takes away one of your better elite velocity hitters what if anything do you make of heading into the series the jays have faced by far the most elite velocity in baseball that you know obviously they ended where they ended in terms of overall offensive stats they have a couple guys like teoscar hernandez who hit elite velocity well is there something to we've seen a lot of pitchers who throw this hard this year well i think it's two things i think it's what you just said they play in the al east obviously yeah. they play the yankees they play tampa bay like these are teams with a lot of high velocity you know baltimore now with felix bautista throwing 101 out of the bullpen so you know it's a little bit about we're playing those teams and we're not playing, I don't know, the Tigers, yep. right? I also think that teams have accurately scouted the Blue Jays hitters, and there are some weaknesses there. Like, Bo Bichette, it's gotten better, I'll, I'll grant you that, but, you know, if you look at the season-long stats, he's one of the weakest hitters in baseball against high velocity, you know? And that's not necessarily something you can easily change. Again, he's improved it. He obviously had a great stretch there at the end of August and into September. Um, but I think that they know like where some of these guys are strong and not so strong. You're going to see a lot of velocity against Bo Bichette. Yeah, especially with the sinker. The sinkers, uh, he's struggled with a lot. So Luis Castillo, a particularly interesting one. Uh, we'll go into Castillo against Manoa and how they each stack up uh, against the opposing lineups today after the break with Chris Black, uh, Mike Petriello of MLB.com. Thanks for taking the time. I know you have to get over to the TV side. You're so, you're big time. Uh, 2.30 p.m. You're on the Sportsnet TV pregame show. I believe we've got two hits that are, I should probably know this, like 3.05 and 3.28 okay. or something like that. So I got a little bit of time, but okay. it's a 90-minute pregame show. It says, it says show. 2.30 in my notes, so you yeah. better you better hustle over there. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'll make it over. It's going to be a lot of fun. What are, you, all... what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to talk about Jordan Romano first, a okay. little bit of the stuff we just kind of went through. And then uh, talking about how the Blue Jays offense operates uh, in terms of, you know, the kind of small ball and hitting for power dichotomy and how well that works in the playoffs and there's going to be a lot of people watching i'm told that all of canada is going to be tuned into this so i'll tell you what those aaron judge toronto blue jays games yeah as judge was chasing the record higher ratings in canada than there were on the yes network really yeah more people watching here than on the yes Network. well i'm supposed to do these live so no no terror here no no pressure <laughs> and the gates open at 2 30 so you're gonna yeah. have are you doing it over uh the blue jay central set that's in the in the concourse the left field one down yeah. there right by the Sorry, foul pole yeah in the wrong yeah, yeah. spot but yeah you'll have people in here uh people may i'll be off the air by them may i'll come down and heckle I, you. i could say real quick last time i was here i was here in may and we did yeah. that and about every three and a half seconds someone would stop by and yell at jamie and just say jamie <laughs> Campbell and say, Jamie, we love you. We're thinking about you. I don't think I fully understand what a hero he is to like half of the country until we were there that time. Uh, Jamie Campbell and Buck Martinez. Absolutely. Him. Uh, Mike Petriello, thanks so much for taking the time. Looking forward to your stuff on Sportsnet TV pregame show. Thanks, Blake. All right. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Chris Black, Sportsnet producer. We'll go deep on today's matchups, uh, Castillo versus Manoa, and how the two sides line up. That's next on Jay Stock Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. 
Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joe has had his moments trying to lay off that ball low to the outside part of the plate and he just went after one two balls and two strikes on it. Here's the pitch on the way a swing and a belt left field way back Blue Jays win it the Blue Jays are World Series champions as Joe Carter hits a three run home run in the ninth inning and the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy from down at the Rogers Center. Uh, As fans are starting to filter in already, the gates just opened a moment ago, and we've already got people here. Uh, They will get to check out this first group of Toronto Blue Jays taking batting practice. Uh, As Ben Wagner to my right told me, uh, light turnout for batting practice uh today but man this is early to be in your seats this is uh chris black producer at sportsnet you're to my left here uh, have you ever gotten to a game that early before if i'm working it yes yeah I mean, that doesn't count. <laughs> as if it this seems early for the doors to open maybe it's different rules for playoffs yeah i i think i mistakenly said 230 earlier it, it certainly appears it was 130 uh yeah Get Might that, have something to do with ceremonies. Get that started. extra concession yep. time in, too. Absolutely. You know? uh, Chris Black, how are you, man? I'm excited. Listening to Joe, uh, Joe Carter home run call, this is uh, really exciting. The vibes are very good in this stadium right now. Yeah, uh, that Joe Carter home run call. I played the Edwin one earlier. I played the, the bat flip one. Um, what we didn't play, we didn't play the Jose Siri home run. He, it's one nothing. We got a, we have our first run of the 2022 Major League Baseball playoffs, and now it's one one. Jose Ramirez just homered. Shane McClanahan available on Sportsnet. Oh, two one. Yeah, uh, that was a two run shot. Jose Ramirez. So yeah, go check that out on Sportsnet. Uh, two o'clock, Philly and St. Louis starts, and of course, 407 first pitch down here at Rogers Center. Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson Smith. On the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network, Blair and Barker have you post-game. And Ben Ennis has drive time for you. He's right behind me in a very nice suit. Uh, he looks great. Guy has terrific hair, too. Not so bad yourself, Chris. Thank you. It's going gray, though. Yeah, but that's okay. It's distinguished. The more games I produce, the grayer I get. Interesting that your hair is going more gray than mine, but my beard is definitely going more gray than yours. I'll get there. Just give me. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, Al Manoa getting the ball today. You have been a fan of this team for a long time and then worked around this team for a long time. As far as guys you'd have confidence in in a spot like this, game one of a playoff series, is Manoa at the top of the list, very, very close to the top of the list? All-time franchise history, he's in that group already mm-hmm. of top, you know, a handful of guys. Steve Clemens, Halliday. Yeah, exactly. Um, his, the way he manages pressure, the way he man. That clip is obviously is already most cliche at this point, uh, the tire clip. But he uh, he just has a a real knack for understanding the moment, understanding how to pitch. He is not a typical 24 year old pitcher, so I'm really excited to see him today. Now, when you talk about managing the moment and handling pressure and things like that, that's something that oftentimes feels intangible. It feels like something we can't grasp, and we have to just kind of, you know, it's one of those things you know it when you see it. 
but we can actually quantify this with Alec Manoa at least a little bit. You found something in the numbers that suggests, you know what, maybe, maybe we can show evidence that Alec Manoa does have that ability to pitch the situation and dial it up. There's a couple theories to this. I'll present the numbers first. The numbers are if the later the game gets or the higher leverage the game gets, his fastball, he'll throw it harder. So if it's runners on base, if it's runners in scoring position, if it's the later innings, he seems to throw his fastball harder, which kind of tracks the eye test too when you're watching him. If it's early innings, if there's no one on, he'll take a little bit off a sinker to make sure it's hitting the corner perfectly or to steal a strike early in a count. Whereas if he's facing a hitter in the sixth inning, he knows it's his, one of his last few bullets, he's going to go max out. So we've seen that the numbers perk up. I think the, the one stat I posted was of the 25 hardest pitches he's got this year, all but one of them were in the fourth inning or later. So there is the, like, he dials it up for leverage. The other side is he's a big guy. It might take him a little bit to loosen up. There's a lot of there's a lot of muscles to loosen up on Alec Manoa. So um, that's the other, like, less kind of rising up to the moment explanation. But I prefer the one where he's dialing it up for big moments. I prefer that as well. And I, I don't, you know, I, I would go so far as to even say what I really prefer is he's actually not holding anything back earlier. He It's just the dial-up. It's yeah. just the, I'm I'm so intense in this moment that I'm going to do this. And, and it's, it's interesting because there have been some inconsistencies in that. So I do wonder, too, you know, we saw that in September, certainly. I, I remember in August, um, not having a debate necessarily, but but I said there, there was a game I was sitting here and his velocity was down really early in the game. And a couple people on Twitter when I tweeted out had said, well, he always does that. And I looked and over the two-month stretch of July and August, that hadn't been true. His velocity was really steady throughout games. The fact that that was more present more recently, I think, feeds into that even more. We do a great job on Blue Jays Twitter of really getting nervous about velo drops and and if somebody's low early, and I, I include myself. I, um, I'm out on velocity changes uh, yeah. in single games after every time Jose Brios's velocity goes yes. back up, he has another bad game. Yes. Uh, I'm out on velocity in general. Yeah. Um, with Manoa, I think there was something to that little section of kind of late July, early August, where we thought, was he hitting a proverbial wall? And then again, like this is why we don't pay attention to this stuff anymore. He put up one of the best months we've seen from a Blue Jays pitcher ever. So he's just got whatever the it non-quantitative stuff is, he's got all of it. He does. And we can quantify what he's got as well. And the way we quantify that is putting him on a list with only Max Scherzer and Jake DeGrom, uh, where when it comes to a full season of a starting pitcher limiting right-handed hitters, ability to do damage. Uh, he is there with Scherzer and DeGrom in recent years. The Mariners are going with three lefties and two switch hitters today. Uh, they've juggled their usual order a little bit to get Mitch Hanniger lower and Cal Raleigh up a little bit. But when we say Manoa has platoon splits, it's way more about the dominance against righties yes. than any sort of struggle yeah, against lefties. Yeah, he's still lefties. really good against lefties. Really I'm good. Not, like, I'm not concerned about him facing lefties whatsoever. Well, certainly not these lefties. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, but yet, he's just really, really good. The, the part that's crazy is like, and we've talked about this with Manoa before, he does this like with like prime Scherzer and prime DeGrom. He doesn't have the same stuff as either of those guys. Right. Those guys were dialing up close to 100. 
their breaking balls were filthy. Manoa's breaking ball is pretty filthy, too. I will say that. But they had a whole kitchen cupboard of stuff. He does it almost like he's got good stuff. I don't want to, like, frame it that way. But just the way he changes speeds, works his fastballs in and out, command, just what he's able to do without the very, very top of the stuff metric. He's so, so good. And and what I think is fascinating about Manoa, and we can do this at the pitch level or the total level, is you fire up his StatCast page, and no, he's not like 100th exactly. percentile and everything, but he is above average at all of it. If you dive into his pitches... By run value, he has the number six fastball in baseball this year, the number 17 sinker, and a top 50 slider. It's more about not any one of those pitches being so elite, whereas, you know, Kevin Gosman, we're always going to talk about the splitter. Robbie Ray, we're always going to talk about the slider. With Manoa, especially as the percentage of the time he uses each of those pitches has converged over the year a little bit, it's that he has so much he can throw at you that's really, really good, and it's not... You know, we talk about that a lot with Ross Stripley. Well, Ross Stripley doesn't have Manoa's level of stuff. Maybe the changeup, but Manoa has four pitches, three against against righties, that he's super, super, super confident in. I think you're with me that you might, against certain righties, might even want to see the changeup just a little bit. Yeah, there's one. I, I presented that as an option against the one guy I'm really interested to watch the at-bats for is Julio Rodriguez. Of like, when you look at his Savant page, there's no holes. No. Like, you you get into the deep stuff, too. When it comes to, you know, swing decisions, yeah, which is yeah. the buzz term this yeah. year, he is among the league leaders yeah. in, like, added expected production just based on the swing decisions you make. Yeah, he doesn't – he can handle every pitch. He can handle it in all around the plate, up and down. So I almost feel like with guys like that, you need to surprise them with things. Mm-hmm. And – only in a handful of situations, Manoa has thrown righty-righty changeups. It's not, it's not his best. It's not his. It's literally his fourth best yes. pitch. And the, if Joe Siddle was here right now on with us, as he is sometimes, he would say, "Don't get beat on your third or fourth best pitch." But I almost feel like, in the right scenario, and if it's for sure a pitch you're going to waste below the zone, it might be something that can work. He he got Bogarts out maybe three times this year with a righty-righty changeup. He got Stanton out with a righty-righty changeup. So just trying something interesting uh, and kind of off the book. And you guys were talking about it earlier, just the sample, you almost need to surprise with your, with what the books, with what the book is on you. Everyone is diving in to scouting yes. reports right now. So kind of defying what the book is on you could be a, kind of effective strategy so let's flip the flip the side of this and and look at Luis Castillo against the Blue Jays because I think there's a fascinating question with this matchup today on that side about who kind of blinks first or who changes what they are first because we can go into a lot of Castillo's pitch level stuff obviously this is a guy who throws very hard who has a pretty good track record but the most fascinating thing I think is that he works ahead in the count so often he's always trying to get ahead and we know that the jays are one of the better teams in baseball being aggressive early in counts how do you see that plan when castillo was with the reds he used to mess around a little bit more he got a little cute he'd throw mm-hmm. change-ups early in counts um he'd just mix it up quite a bit since he's come to seattle much more straightforward hammering uh the zone with sinkers early in counts getting ahead it's a pitch he can command well and it's kind of a pitch where you can go for strikes and not necessarily 
you know, a ball won't wind up in the second deck if you leave it out over the plate. It's a, you might give up a base hit, but it's a valuable pitch to get ahead with. There's been a lot of that. Now, the Blue Jays last year, crazy, crazy good first pitch, second pitch, kind of ambushing stuff. Wasn't great early part of this year and recently, September, October, dynamite stuff. Like, we've seen the old Jays back again. So I think, again, I do think we're going to see a little bit of, like, going away from whatever the book is. So I do think we will see Castillo get a little cute again with certain guys where if he thinks some guys might ambush him fastballs early, think Teoscar, mm-hmm. think Vladdy, think Springer, they might see a first pitch change up or a second pitch change up today. But that's the stuff. This is what I love about playoffs. All this stuff that you can just dive into on the one game sample is great to watch this. This is why we watch and pay attention for 162 because come these games, it's all so valuable and really, really interesting. By the way, I can't imagine this comes up over the next three games, but as we've been talking, Gabriel Moreno is turning in like one of the more impressive <laughs> batting practice sessions for a non-power hitter uh, that I can remember seeing at one of these games. That, that, that was a lot deposited in the left field for the fans who were here early. The home run he hit in Baltimore was really impressive. Yeah. Um, again, something we're probably going to see in 2023, yeah. but still fun to watch. Uh, in terms of Castillo, one of the things he's done recently, and I don't know if this is what we're talking about, which is change the book, or it's a lost confidence thing, but he has gone away from the changeup to a pretty extreme degree. This is a guy who, the book on him was supposed to be, like Manoa, he throws four pitches with conviction, and in his case, would throw that changeup a lot against righties uh, in general. He has gone away from that pitch against righties. What do you make of that, and could you see it coming back against some Blue Jays today? Like I said, I, I do think it'll come back a little bit. It is the reason why that you don't throw righty-righty change-ups, lefty-lefty change-ups. If you make a mistake with it, it's it's just moving towards the barrel of the bat, and it's a pitch that gets hammered. And if you look through his change-ups that kind of got hit real hard, it's when he was throwing them like a 0 or a 1-0 change-up to a righty, and they get tagged. And essentially they're saying... Your fastball, your sinker, your slider, that's good enough to get righties out. Use your changeup against your against lefties. It's a really good pitch, but this stuff is good enough to get most righties in the league out. Now, again, the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors of the world, the, like, the Jays lineup is different than most of the righties he's going to face. Something that's interesting, this was back when he was with the Reds. He went to, he threw four full count pitches to the Jays hitters that day. They were all change-ups. I think two to Chapman, two to Guerrero maybe. But so, again, like this is something where it's just they could – he will maybe mix it up a bit. And in big counts, this is where he might, again, flip the script a bit. Yeah, it's interesting. And statistically on the year, his change-up has been – ineffective it's been a bottom 10 changeup by run value this year um so it makes some sense why he would go away from it he hasn't been having the results but like you said this is the time of year you kind of gotta you kind of gotta keep guys guessing and you do have you know a top 10 fastball you have a top 25 slider and you've got that sinker that is you know even though it's a little easier to hit it's a ground ball machine when you look at the jays as a team we know that they've seen more elite velocity than yep. anyone in baseball this year. We know Teoscar in particular has been like, these are the only names ahead of Teoscar when you sort by um, how a guy has done against elite fastball velocity. Raphael Devers, Aaron Judge, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson. Those yep. are the names ahead of Teoscar and that's it. Um, what do you make of how the Jays line up? And, and I guess before we get into that, how big a drop off do you think it is not having Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for this series or this game? 
and Danny Jansen now being the DH. Danny Jansen's had a terrific year, but not necessarily your first choice against elite velocity. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why Jano struggles against high velo is because he wants to pull everything. And one of the reasons why guys like Teoscar, Lourdes, and Vladdy are so good against it is they can let it travel, to use that cliche again, but still hit it the other way. With And they're so strong, they can drive a ball the other way. Um, so I think, yeah, Gurriel is a big miss to not have him against the velo. Um, guys like not just Teoscar, Vladdy's really, really good with it for that specific reason. And it's one of the other reasons why I think you guys were talking about this shifting earlier today. I really, I think it'd be a really bad decision for the Mariners to shift, especially against Vladdy. I didn't even understand it. They did it a lot, maybe 50, 60% of the time against him in the regular season. I don't understand that in a postseason or against the lead Velo because he'll just drop his bat head out and take a single. T- yeah, to right. I, I get it more against, you know, first half of last year, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., where he was hitting at, a, at an MVP level. But this is a guy, especially in a playoff scenario, I'd imagine, is just willing to hit a single and, and keep the lineup moving when you have guys like Kirk Hernandez and Chapman hitting behind you. For sure. And I just I, I do love that this. I do love this matchup for that reason because Castillo is elite velo. As you said, they've seen it more than anyone. They face the Yankees who just seem to bring out a cavalcade of guys who throw 95 plus. Um, And Castillo, his favorite out pitch this year, especially against righties, are those hard fastballs up and away. So if these guys are willing to alter approaches a bit. Opposite field power alley. Not even power alley. Like, not even power. Just poke the bat head out and take a single to right. Like, I don't think you should do that 0-0 or 1-0, but in a two-strike count, if he wants to try and get you out kind of that upper uh, outside corner region with a fastball, take what he's giving you and poke it to right. I like that the philosophy with poking it to right is like a U-shaped curve for velocity where if you're a bad slow pitch hitter, you want to just wait and poke it into right field because it's a it's a single and no one's going to get there. And then if you're facing 98-mile-an-hour fastballs on the upper outer edge, you just want to poke it into right field. Anywhere in between, you do, you're not doing that, but a slow, if you're yeah. a bad slow pitch hitter or an elite fastball hitter, you poke it into right I, field. We make it sound so, so easy up yeah. here. Like when you're trying to defend against a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, and then he can also flip you a really, really good slider. That's how guys end up still ground balling to third base. Everyone loves to get upset about the ground ball to third base. When you're trying to defend against a fastball and a guy flips a really good slider, it's going to be natural that every once in a while you're going to hit a ground ball to shortstop. So. Yeah, well, also he can throw the sinker in there, which has been a ground ball machine. Bearing so you. if yeah. you guess just a little wrong on the fastball, you're going to get on top of it, uh, on top of the sinker. Um, quickly, I, I have a, a catching thing I want to ask you, and we've only got about five minutes left, but um, Bobachet in this series, he's been so tremendous the last six, seven weeks of the season, but on paper, some of the Mariners' starters and relievers are the type that might give Bo trouble. What do you expect from Bo Bichette in this series? And how much has his last six or seven weeks where he's truly become a more complete and a, a more savvy hitter in addition to just tearing the cover off the ball? Yeah, we've been talking about him over the last month. Um, in this month, he's everything that we think he can be. He can, I mean, we know he's led the league in hits, but, you know, 
there are some of us who believe he can win a batting title, which I know that sounds a little bit. I mean, he led the American League in hits two years in a row. Yeah. It's not that far out of the realm yeah. to think that that 280, 285 could nudge up to 300. Yeah, the decisions he's made this month at the plate are so, so good. And he is handling every pitch. I know what you're alluding to. The numbers for the season as a whole, he struggles against high velo. And that is because he will sit spin, I think, more often than almost any other hitter on the Jays. Um, but he's shown an ability to hit good velo the other way over the last month. Um, so there are ways that he can get exploited a little bit, but I just, man, I really trust his process over the last month. Like he has, you can make a case that this month he's, not just over the last month he's been their MVP, but his performance over the last month has made him like the team's MVP. Like this kind of calmed down the Blue Jays offense. This is kind of unlocked Bo by himself has kind of unlocked the entire offense to kind of be what they always should have been this year. I think too, he's just, he's such a good avatar for what frustrated people about yep. this offense before yep. when the and as a team, they've gotten much better at cutting the chase rate against breaking balls and, and, you know, doing more damage on stuff over the heart of the plate. It is hilarious. By the way, we are watching the Mariners take fielding practice and their first baseman is wearing one of the goalie style masks. Yes. Uh, catcher's mask. It's very amusing to see a first <laughs> baseman doing that. Speaking of catchers, Alejandro Kirk and Cal Raleigh, uh, both in the top six, in value as a pitch framer this year. I know we might only see Kirk behind the plate for this one. Are you ready for annoying tweets about the umpires when both sides are framing? Like, like this is two of the best framers in baseball head-to-head tonight. It's a staple of any big Blue Jays game to get upset about umpires on social media. It's going to happen. They're going to steal strikes. It's not just the catchers. They're both very, very good. Uh, Kirk's elite stealing strikes low in the zone um, and kind of outside corner to lefties. Um, this umpire is a little susceptible to yes. kind of Games getting two fooled. and three are two of yes. the better umpires in the league, but tonight could be uh, yeah. Lance Barrett, And right? the other part that, like, the other part that... No- that kind of gets lost when we talk about catcher framing is it's partly on the pitchers too. And we've got two pitchers with really good command, especially fastball command. And that's going to lend itself to probably a few steal, whether you call it steal, stolen strikes, bad calls, whatever you want to call it. Probably depends on your point of view. Well, if the Jays get the call, it's a, (laughs) there you go. It's it's a stolen strike. strike. If the Mariners get the call, it's a horrible call. Yes. It's the, it's the obvious Pacific Northwest bias in major league baseball. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet. Thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Uh, what do you do? are you producing for the game? Or are you just here as a fan? Uh, I'm doing some work. I'm helping okay. guys out in different roles. So you just uh, wanted to get in the building with your press pass. Yes, like, exactly. Hey, if anyone Hi. needs anything, Hi. if anyone, I'll grab coffee. I'll yeah. I'll help. Uh, yeah, I'll help print some things. I'll help whatever. But yeah, later in the uh, later in the playoffs, I'll be back in the producer's chair in the studio. But yeah, today I'm enjoying. Awesome. Well, can't wait. Uh, Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, We have about a minute left, so I'm going to just kind of reset you on what's ahead. Uh, Ben Ennis is next with Fan Drive Time. He's right behind me. He'll be doing it from the Rogers Center. Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith on the call. First pitch, 407. Blair and Barker will have Jays talk for you after the game for about 90 minutes. Uh, They'll be doing Jays talk postgame for every game throughout this series. Um, if you need even more Jays content, you've, of course, got the Sportsnet TV side. The Fan Morning Show had Jose Batista on this morning. I'll be back 
2 to 4 tomorrow, doing a two-hour pregame with Show Ali. Um, so you can look ahead to that. We'll tee up whoever's starting, potentially Kevin Gosman against Robbie Ray. Maybe Logan Gilbert and Ross Stripling work their way in there. Uh, but thanks to Chris Black for coming on, to Mike Petriello of MLB.com, to Arden Zwelling. Uh, thanks to producer JR, to Lance back at the studio everyone else behind me there's a whole bunch of people behind me I, i'm gonna miss people to thank i uh, hope you all have a wonderful time watching game one of the wild card series and i will talk to you tomorrow at two o'clock to tee up game two